0: The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. How many of you men have been to a TBC men's conference? Let me see your hand. Been out there, been to a conference. Let me encourage you see the guys whose hands are up. Keep them up, guys. Talk to one of those guys and ask them about the weekend. We'd love to have you join us for the weekend. Wives, do yourself a favor. Send your husband get him out of the house for a weekend and enjoy yourselves. Uh, He'll leave behind the Visa card. Pastor Gary said it's good. So, Uh, We want to help you get in the Word, and so we provide for you aids to do that. Closer walk is a New Testament year. Daily walk is the Bible in a year. Daily bread is a brief devotional for each day, and uh, you can help yourselves to those in the hallway. Just an opportunity for you to get in the Word uh, alone. So, Unfinished is our title of uh, the entire series because the church is dealing with unfinished business. We, 2,000 years later are still finishing what acts is about this morning we look at a message of entitled crossroads acts chapter 11 beginning in verse 1 now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout judea heard that the gentiles also had received the word of god Uh, the gentiles were now saved they received the word so the gentiles are getting saved and when peter came up to jerusalem those who were circumcised that is, jewish believers so circumcision of the jews they were believers uh, they took issue with him saying, you went to uncircumcised men and you ate with them. Peter, you bad boy, you. You went and ate with Gentiles. Father, as we look at uh, the significance of this message and how it impacts us today, help us not to just be hearers of the word, but doers. In Christ's name, amen. The story of Peter's vision and Cornelius' conversion is recorded for us a third time in the book of Acts. In fact, it it takes up more space than anything in the book of Acts other than Paul's conversions toward himself. So the question we have to ask ourselves looking at the text this morning, why now does Luke give us a third time this event? What's so significant about this particular event, about Cornelius, a Gentile, coming to faith in Christ and, and Peter's vision? Why is this so significant that Luke would take up so much space in the life of the early church? So that's what we're going to be looking at this morning. Church is at a crossroads. It's at a crossroads. Many of you are at crossroads. That you're trying to make major decisions in your life. Decisions about where to live, decisions about a career, decisions about college, decisions about a major, decisions about church to attend, decisions about should you move, should you stay, should you go, should you give up this job, go in a different direction, uh, decisions about any number of things. Some of you, uh, which direction you're going to go with your life. Some of you try trying to decide who to marry. How do you make big decisions like that? On the who to marry thing, some kids help us out. I ran across this uh, several years ago, actually. And so you come to a crossroads about who to marry. Why don't you let some kids help you out? How to decide who to marry. Uh, Kristen, age 10. No person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides it all the way before, and you get to find out later who you're stuck with. (laughs) Interesting perspective. I wonder what her folks thought when they read that. Uh, How to decide who to marry. Alan, age 10. You got to find somebody who likes the same stuff. Like, if you like sports, she should like it, that you like sports, but she should keep the chips and dips coming. (laughs) That's a perfect quote for a week before Super Bowl. Every guy says amen, right? I mean, what else do they do? Keep the chips and dips coming, babe. I mean, that's uh, we're watching the game. Uh, What is the right age to get married? College students? What what would you say is the right age to get married? You're scared to talk. Look at you. Everyone is scared to death. (laughs) Uh, Here it is right here. 23 is the best age because then you know somebody forever. I mean, by the time you're 23, you've known them forever, right? Uh, Here's an interesting one. You come to Crossroads, how would you make a marriage work? How would you do that? Well, Ricky says, tell your wife that she looks pretty even. She looks like a truck. (laughs) Gentlemen, I'll give you some advice. Don't do that, okay? Don't do that. Crossroads. I, I mean, we all come to crossroads in life, and uh, sometimes those crossroads are small. Sometimes they're highly significant. The early church is coming to a highly significant crossroads. Three times Luke records this event in Acts, and, and it comes to this crossroads because it, it, the decision will be made whether or not Christianity becomes just an isolated sect within Israel, or if it becomes the major force worldwide. That it is today. I mean that's how significant this section is. Will Christianity just remain an isolated sect within Israel? Or will it become the significant power that it is worldwide today? That's how important this text is. Crossroads. Let me become pastoral for a couple of moments. Just step away from the text for a couple of moments. I believe TBC is at a crossroads. Uh TBC's at a crossroads for two reasons. Reason number one, Many of us who have been actively involved in leadership are now hitting our sixties. Uh, I turned sixty back in November. By God's grace, came here at age twenty-six. Been here over three decades. But many of us in leadership are now entering our sixties. And so, in my mind, TBCs are a crossroads. We are intentionally training, grooming, and handing the baton to younger men in our body to lead. And, and let me share with you, from my personal perspective, what I see. Couldn't be more excited. I couldn't be more excited. We have young men in this body, and young women in this body, in their 30s and 40s in particular, who are well qualified, well equipped to take the baton of leadership and run well. When I look at the future of TBC, it's exciting. I mean, when I see what God is doing in the young men and young women in our body, I say, To God be the glory, great things He's done. I began mentoring some young men a few years ago. I've got two groups of young men I alternate on Fridays, and I I listen to the wisdom that those young men have and the things they're wrestling with in life, and it's pretty amazing to see what God's doing in their lives. About five years ago, we started an elder leadership training institute, and we've done that for five years now. And we we take 10 young men, and we bring them through a a bit of training and study, and we expose them to TBC. They attend elders' meetings, deacons' meetings, and they get trained in some theology Write out a doctrinal statement. And it's neat to see what God is doing in the lives of men and women in this body. I I mean, I look at many of you, and that's the age range you're in, and TBC is in good hands for the future. I look at our staff, and we are blessed with an amazing staff team. I mean, we've got a group that loves to work together. They work hard. They do their jobs well, and we are blessed. to have an amazing staff team. But we are intentionally lean and mean. Lean and mean in number, not lean and mean in every way. But we're lean and mean. On a typical Sunday at TBC, you look around the room. Our auditorium is near full. There are 1,200 seats in here, so you probably have 1,100 folks just this hour. And so on any given Sunday, we have, counting our kids and youth, 3,000-plus people attending. We have 11 of us on full-time pastoral staff. That's it, 11. Church our size usually twice that number. And so on any, we intentionally do that because we feel like, according to Ephesians 4, that God has given some of his apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastor, teachers, for the equipping of the saints to do the work of the ministry. So we do not want to rob you of the blessing of doing ministry. We want you to be involved in doing ministry. So our job as staff is to equip you and to work alongside you to do ministry. And we see that. We have 50 plus small groups that meet throughout the week led by you. We have a mercy team led by you. We have, uh, it goes on and on, go-to guys led by you. And it goes on and on, women's ministries, men's ministries, taught by you, led by you. That's our philosophy of ministry. Lean and mean staff so we don't take ministry from you, but we give it to you. So, and it's encouraging to see. My young staff guys have been preaching when I'm here or in my absence. I'm so proud of those guys and the way God is equipping and training them. If you've got the newsletter we send out at Christmas, it's very intentional on our part. Uh, for over 30 years, you've heard primarily my voice, and I think it's important. Last year, we had Stephen up here many times, and I think it's important to hear multiple voices from the pulpit of equipped men who can uh, also teach the word. And so you're going to see that. You're going to hear that. Next week, I'll be at the men's conference. Shannon will be preaching the word. The phone call I hate more than any other phone call is on Sunday mornings when somebody calls and says, is Gary preaching today? Please don't do that. You come here because God is at work here, not because of who's preaching. And so it's not about a man. It's about him. It's about accomplishing his purpose listening to him. In fact, now people are calling and saying, is Gary here? Gary preaching today? Yeah, he is. Well, we're not coming, and that's a good thing. <laughs> I also look not only at our staff, but I look at our elders and deacons. And one of the things we're doing intentionally is we're bringing younger men on board. Uh, The two latest additions to our elder board are Stephen Sewell, Jonathan Chai, uh, some of the younger leaders in our body. And uh, later in the year, we're going to introduce to you and uh, recommend to you Barry Ainsley and John Matori to come on board as elders. Uh, They can't do it now. At the first of the year, Barry and his wife, Monica, just had a baby in the NICU. Pray for them that their baby will... uh, rally quickly baby's doing well oh boy and uh, then he will serve john maturi will come along later in the year we'll present him to you we can't do it now he's an infectious disease doc he's overseas dealing with ebola and uh, he'll be quarantined after so unless you want to be exposed to ebola we're not going to let him come in the church for a while and uh, then he'll serve as an elder lord willing our deacon board i look at our deacon board and uh, i looked around the table Uh, last time we met and i was there and uh, I've got shoes older than some of the guys in our deacon board right now. I mean, uh, God is bringing young men up in our body to, uh, who love the Savior, honor the Savior, walk with the Savior. And from my perspective, from, from the perch that I'm on, and look, I say the future is bright. It's amazing what God has done here. And it's amazing what the future holds. And so I want you to rest assured that those things are being done. We're at a crossroads because of uh, the aging of many of our leaders. Secondly, because of my health. Uh, most of you are aware that uh, about two years ago, uh, this I was diagnosed with a, a really bad cancer. And so we had to come up with contingency plans. We're at a crossroads. And uh, I, I pray that I'm healed. I don't know if I am or if I'm not. I, I'm uh, No way of knowing that. The type of disease I have, you're never pronounced cured and uh, you're never in remission. So uh, if I get metastasis, the average life expectancy is less than a year. And so we've had to have a contingency plan. And so it's interesting to go to meetings, and I'm the one that's initiated those meetings with our elders and staff and said, we have to talk about if Gary's not here. And, uh, of course, everybody kind of looks at the ground, and then we look up and realize, well, we've got to have that. And so I want you to rest assured there are contingency plans in place that if we come to the crossroads where my health begins to fail, that by God's grace we have uh, things in place so that the body continues to function and things go well. I'm praying it's not the case, but... Who knows? We trust them anyway, right? Every single day. And so where I sit, the future looks bright. We're at a crossroads, though. Crossroads for those two reasons. And I want you to rest assured as a body that God has put the right men in the right position at the right time to lead our body in the right way. Well, the early churches is at a crossroads. They're at a crossroads. What are they going to do? Gentiles are coming to faith. What's going to happen? Well, the charge against Peter is found in the first three verses. We've read about it. In verse 1, it says, Now the apostles and the brethren who were throughout Judea, they heard that the Gentiles had received the word of God. And when Peter came to Jerusalem, those who were circumcised took issue. And those who were circumcised, those are Jews, they're Jewish believers. And so the charge before Peter is, Oh, you've done this thing, but note well, the information has traveled through the grapevine already. The church grapevine was active even in the first century. I I mean, I find in churches sometimes the grapevine, a better word for that is gossip, takes place quite effectively. Have you noticed that? I, I mean, sometimes it's under the veil of sharing. Let me share with you a prayer request, and it's about somebody and something else that we have no business talking about. Let me just issue a warning to you. Be careful about your tongue. James talks about it. The scriptures talk about it. Be careful uh, with your tongue especially with gossiping you ever play the game of gossip you ever do that over Christmas time uh, our grandkids and kids were here and so we went to a movie and after the movie we went to Starbucks and so uh, it was late it was in the evening we're sitting around the table at Starbucks and I don't know whose idea it was they said let's play gossip and so the youngest is two and the oldest is 85 my dad so we've got quite a spectrum there and uh, some of us don't hear very well, as you can see. I've got earnades in, and, and so the gossip started. The way it started, or what was said was, um, and I'm not sure who started it, Papado snores loudly. I'm Papado, and keeps honey. That's honey. Papado snores loudly and keeps honey awake. That was it. So it goes, you know how, how it is, you whisper in somebody's ear with the next ear and goes around. Well, I'm going the tail in, and what I got was Papa Doe spanks honey to keep her awake. <laughs> Now, I've done that on occasion, but I mean, it's uh, usually Sunday mornings. <laughs> but, but, but the grapevine is active already. I mean, look at it. Before Peter gets there, word has spread, and uh, they know Peter's coming. They know Gentiles are part of the kingdom, and they, they know uh, we've got some issues to deal with. So the charge is found in verse 3. Peter, you went and ate with uncircumcised men. Peter, you associated with those people. If you were with us last week, we talked about this at length. We talked about who those people are. Who are those people in your life? People you love to hate. I mean, who are those people? People you may end up spending eternity with. You're a Republican. You can't stand Democrats. In fact, you think Democrat. may be a Democrat in heaven. And God's gonna put you in a mansion with a Democrat forever. (laughs) Or maybe you're a Democrat, and you think those Republicans, those right right, wing. Or maybe you're white and you can't stand blacks, or maybe you're black and you can't stand Hispanics, or maybe you're Hispanic and you can't stand white. And God's gonna say, I'm gonna put you in with the United Nations forever. (laughs) Who do you love to hate? See, that, that really is the issue here. That, that really is the problem here. Because if you remember when Jesus was around, the Pharisees got mad at Jesus. They, they, they got mad at Jesus. He says, you go and you eat with whom? Tax collectors and sinners. Jesus, look at you. You're going to the houses of those people to eat. How could you dare do that? I mean, how could you do that? Peter, how could you go into Gentiles' house? They're going to serve you bacon for breakfast. How could you do that? How can you go in Gentiles? You remember the Jews prayed a prayer. The Jewish men prayed a prayer every morning. God, thank you for not making me a woman or a Gentile. And now Peter's saying, hey, Cornelius got saved. I went to his house and I ate his food. And they look at Peter and they've got a huge decision to make. These are people they hated. These are people they didn't want to be with. These are people they couldn't stand. And now all of a sudden we're supposed to hug one another and worship together? We're supposed to sing Kumbaya, round the fire, join hands, and throw a log in. Right. What are they going to do? So the charge against Peter is quite profound. Peter, how could you do this? How could you have table fellowship? How could you look at these people and accept them? Let me remind you that God's heart has always been for the nations. God's heart was not just for the nation of Israel. They were his chosen people. But God has always had a heart, not just for Israel, but for the nations. Through the prophet Isaiah, we read these words. I will keep you, referring to Israel. I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant for the people. So Israel, you are my covenantal people. Why? So that you might be a light for the whom? What's it say? Gentiles. These are the people that hate it. I I have created you to be a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives that are in prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. And so what happened is, by the time of Christ, instead of loving the Gentiles, being a light for the Gentiles, instead of opening blind eyes, instead of freeing captives from prison, they hated them. They absolutely They wanted nothing to do with them. Nothing to do with them. Instead of loving them, they hated them. Jonah, the story of Jonah in the Old Testament, is a picture of what took place in the nation of Israel. Remember Jonah's story? It's quite an interesting story. Most of you learned it as kids. You can recite it right now. Jonah chapter 1. What happens to Jonah? He becomes the prodigal prophet. The prodigal prophet. God tells Jonah, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh and to call those people to repentance. And what does Jonah say? Uh-uh, 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 not me. So Jonah goes down to the ticket office, plops his American Express down, and he gets a ticket going the other way to Tarshish. Not exactly how it happened in that day and age, but close. So he gets a ticket, he's headed in the other direction, and uh, while they're at sea, you remember God sends this storm. By the way, when you run from God, God always gets his man. I mean, some of the most insane things in Scripture are, here's Adam and Eve and God, the only three people in the whole universe. And Adam and Eve hide from God. <laughs> Isn't that ridiculous? I, I, you know, we, we were, we were with our grandkids, uh, last week, last Sunday they came and, uh, so we're playing hide and seek uh, and, no, we actually, I shouldn't say this probably, but over Christmas, uh, New Year's, they were here and it was so, it was rainy and you know how rainy and cold it was. So we actually came and played hide and seek in this room. It was great. <laughs> elders may fire me I don't know but I mean when you turn the lights out in here and there's nobody in here it's pretty dark and so I can't find Emerson Kate our uh, three year old granddaughter and uh, Bev is with her and they're hiding and so I just holler out Emerson Kate don't tell me where you are and she goes over here Papa over here and they were this black thing over here, we put Christmas trees on. Bev and Emerson crawled under that thing over there. Great hiding place. If you want to play with us, let us know. <laughs> <clears throat> but, but, but the point of that is, here is Jonah running from God. He's hiding from God. God sends a storm. And, and all those, all the sailors are praying to their gods. It's like Jonah who's asleep. Jonah is the prodigal prophet. They come and Jonah confesses he's running from his God. So they take Jonah and they throw him overboard. And, and God always gets his man. Jonah chapter 2, the prodigal prophet becomes what? Praying prophet. He's prey. He's in the belly of a fish. It doesn't say whale. Specifically, it says a big fish, probably a whale. And so Jonah finds himself in the belly of this fish. I love what Max Lucado said. Jonah is surrounded by the one thing he doesn't have, guts. There are two ways out, and either way is attractive. So so here's Jonah, and, and he's in the belly of a fish, and he begins to pray. You bet he's praying. You'd pray too if you're in the belly of a fish, gone through the ocean, and getting all that stuff coming through you. And so you remember what happens? He becomes whale barf, literally. I mean, the whale pukes him up, and where does he puke him up? Nineveh. Surprise. Surprise. The prodigal prophet who became the praying prophet now becomes the preaching prophet. He walks the streets of Nineveh, calls people to repentance, Probably when they saw him bleached white, they repented just because he looked like some alien. But they heard the message, and from the palace to the pauper in the street, they all repent. If you've ever had the privilege of leading a person to Christ, remember how exciting that was? I mean, one of the great gifts that God has given me over the years to see people come to faith. I don't have the gift of evangelism, but to see people come to faith, I mean, it's so exciting here's Jonah from the palace to the streets. Everybody repents. So what's Jonah's response? I mean, you'd be high-fiving everybody in the whole world wouldn't you? you'd be talking about the great work that God had done, but not Jonah. You know what Jonah did? Look at what it says. But Jonah, this seemed very wrong. What? It seemed wrong to Jonah. He became angry. He prayed to the Lord, isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? This is why I went and fled to Tarshish. I went the other way because I knew you were going to save those nasty Ninevites. In fact, God, I knew you're a gracious God, a compassionate God, a God who's slow to anger, a God who abounds in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. <clears throat> God, the reason I didn't want to go to Ninevites is because I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to give them an opportunity to repent. I wish you'd send calamity on them. Basically, Jonah says, I wish you'd send them to hell. That's a calamity. God, I, I knew you were so patient you were going to let them repent. God, that's why I didn't want to go in the first place. I can't stand those Ninevites. Not them. Who's the not them in your life? Who's the people you hope God sends calamity to? We went to see American Sniper last night. How many of you guys have seen that movie? <coughs> Powerful movie. Powerful movie. Do you pray that militant Muslims will come to faith in Jesus? Man. Most of us walk out of there thinking they got their just deserves, and I, terrorism is wrong, killing people is wrong. I mean, they're wrong in what they do, but they you ever pray for their salvation? I mean, really, how many of you want to spend eternity in the presence of a Muslim who was militant, who repented. There can be a couple of them in heaven. I said, what are you talking about, Gary? Well, let me skip ahead. Uh, Can you go, uh, Terry, are you back there? She left me. I can go there. I'll skip these. There we go. There's a guy. He's going to be in heaven with you. You want a good read? Pick up that book, Son of Hamas. Write it down. Pick it up. Don't make the mistake of starting at night. You won't be able to put it down. Chuck, you, you said you finished it. I gave it to several of my friends at uh, Christmas time. It's an amazing story. Um, this guy's name is uh, what's his name? His last name is Yusef Musab Yusef Musab Yusef. Dad was one of the founders of Hamas, militant Muslim Palestinian group. Long story short, this guy comes to faith in Christ. How does that happen? You get your pins? Here's a second book. Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. You know, for this guy, uh, son of Hamas, he was a militant Muslim who came to faith. Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus is about a man who is just the opposite. He's an intellectual, an intellectual, brilliant man, brilliant man. His father was a Pakistani. They moved to the States when he was young. father was a naval officer, U.S. Navy, and... Uh, In this book, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, he was being trained to be a Muslim apologist. That means he's learning how to defend the Muslim faith against Christians. His grandfather was a Muslim missionary. That means his grandfather uh, was trying to convert Christians to Islam. That's what his grandfather did. Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, a story about how he came to faith in Christ. Brilliant man. He now travels with Rev. Zechariah, and he talks about the truth of Christianity versus Islam. Tremendous read. The First part of the book is a little hard to wade through because it's all about uh, Islamic and Muslim beliefs. The second half is great. You're thinking, not those people. <laughs> those people? Some of you are homophobes. You are. Word homosexual comes out, you wish God would bring calamity on those people. You're going to end up in heaven with a homosexual that comes to faith in Christ they go to pat you on the back, you're going to want to run. Who are those people in your life? We've got a number of folks here who do prison ministry. There are ladies on death row right now. Dennis and Ruth, sit right here. Raise your hands, guys. Dennis and Ruth, we visited for about an hour yesterday. They go to death row every single week in Gatesville. Several of the ladies on death row in Gatesville have trusted Christ as Savior. Amazing. You might think, me, eternity with them, my kids, same mansion in heaven? Yeah. The Jews heard word that the Gentiles had come to faith. The divide was so deep, they couldn't believe it. The question is, who are those people in your life? Who are those people? Well, let me back up. The counter from Peter is he just tells a story. I mean, rather than uh, getting mad, rather than pitching a hissy fit. You know what a hissy fit is? If you're not from the deep south, you don't know what a hissy fit is. Rather than condemn their judgmental, hypocritical attitudes, rather than starting his own church, he just says, let me tell you what happened. He began explaining to them verse 4 in an orderly sequence and he said I was in the city of Joppa. I was praying. I had this vision and this, this sheet came down and had all these animals and I heard a voice that arise Peter kill and eat and I said by no means Lord nothing unholy unclean has ever come through my lips and the voice came down a second time and said God has cleansed these things. They're no longer unholy and this happened three times and he said then I realized God was speaking about people and not about food because earlier in chapter 10 verse 35 Peter can Included in every nation, the man who fears God is welcome in the presence of God. And so Peter has learned his lesson. And so he concludes in verse 17, if God therefore gave to them the same gift that he gave to us that is a gift of the Holy Spirit, I also after believing in the Lord Jesus, who was I that I could stand in God's way? He said, I looked at these folks, they received the same gift we did, the spirit of God, how could I stand against them? And so Peter counters with the story, well, now the church is at a crossroads. What are they gonna do? How are they gonna respond? What are these leaders gonna say? Are they gonna say, well, Peter, you go and start your own church with the Gentiles. Peter, they may have come to faith, but we don't even part with them. Peter these are people that we hate not people we love we don't want anything to do with them but that's not what happened the first thing that happened is they became quiet look at verse 18 when they heard this they were quieted I believe that means they let it penetrate their hearts and their minds and thought about it they thought about it if God did it how can we say no How can we not embrace these people we hate? When they heard this, they quieted down. And we don't know how long that lasted. In my mind, a while. Then they glorified God. And they said, well then, God has granted to Gentiles repentance as well. And because of that statement, we are here at Temple Bible Church in 2015 Worshiping Jesus. You see, unless you have Jewish blood in your veins, this is your Pentecost. If you're a Gentile, this is your Pentecost. And so all of a sudden, what we see is that the body of Christ is expanded. A unity is preserved. And I believe that's why Luke records this three times. Because now the church is on the precipice of exploding. Now it's not just Jews in the body. It's going to be an isolated thing in Israel. But now the Great Commission is going to take place. And people of every tribe, every tongue, every kindred embrace a Savior. Unity. You know, the fact that they welcomed them into the family and they loved them. Teaches us much about the way we should respond to others. St. Augustine said this in essentials, unity. In non essentials, liberty, in all things love. Let me personalize that for TBC. In essentials, we're going to have unity. In essentials, the fundamental doctrines of the faith, we will not waver. We will not waver. The leadership here will not waver, and if we do, close the doors and leave. When it comes to believing in the urgency of God's word, when it comes to believing in who Jesus Christ is, who God the Father is, that salvation is by faith in Christ alone, those are the fundamentals of the faith as well as a few others. We will never waver from those things. We will build upon that foundation and essentials will have unity. In non-essentials, we need liberty. In non-essentials, we have liberty. When you walk in that door, nobody was back there saying, hey, if you're in jeans, you're not welcome. If you're in shorts, you're not welcome. If you're in a coat and tie, you're not welcome. It's a non-essential. Scripture just teaches us to dress modestly. If we do that, we walk through the doors. It doesn't matter if you're red, yellow, black, or white. It doesn't matter if you're rich, if you're poor. It doesn't matter if you're male or female. I, I, last week we laughed. I even said we let people from Mississippi in here. I mean, but we, but we've got everybody in here. We've got everybody in here. In non-essentials, we're going to exercise liberty. We're not going to judge one another. We're not going to look suspiciously at one another. We're not going to say, well, you homeschool, you Christian school, you public school. We're not going to make that an issue. We're going to make the gospel an issue. In non-essentials, liberty. But you know, in everything that we're going to do, we're going to love one another. So, third hour. I did this the other two hours. Let me you take a look around the room? Nobody ever looks sideways in church. You know, that so they always look at me. I want you, you guys over here, y'all look at the guys over here. You guys here look over there, and vice versa. Take a look around. Go ahead, take a look around. You see somebody in a while? You can wave at them over here, to over there. It's okay. These are the people Christ has called you to love. These are the people. Jesus said, "They shall know you are my disciples." Because of your doctrine, because of your dress, because of your hairstyle, because of your clothing, because of where you live. They shall know you're my disciples because you love one another. When we love, we're like the Savior and the world sees it and they want what we've got. And what we've got is Jesus. Amen. Lord Jesus, that's what we have is you. The common bond that brings us to this place week after week after week, the common bond is you. We wanna make you famous, we wanna make you known. And so Jesus, we thank you for being our savior. If you're not here today and you don't know our savior, every one of us that knows him prays for you right now that you would embrace him. Would you pray right now for folks who are sitting in this body who may not know Christ? We're praying for you right now. Those of you who know about Christ. But have never trusted Christ. Right now. Hundreds of people are praying for you. Right now. That you would surrender your will. And surrender your life. And ask Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Right now. Hundreds of people are praying for you. Right now. Others of us. There is a person or a group of people we hate. Right now. Maybe an individual. Maybe a boss. Maybe a colleague. Maybe a neighbor. Could be your husband or wife sitting next to you right now. Could be a roommate. Would you ask the Spirit of God to soften your heart and learn how to love again? As Christ loves And I want each of us to pray right now for anyone in this room who has hatred in their heart. It may be against somebody that abused them or hurt them, somebody that wronged them, somebody that spoke against them, somebody from another race, gender, socioeconomic background. Pray for them right now. Finally, pray for yourself that you would be a person who loves like Jesus loved. Paul said, "If I speak with the tongue of men and angels, but do not have love, I am a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. Pray that you would have a heart filled with love for other people. And essentials unity, and not essentials liberty, and everything. Lord, help us to love one another. In your name, Amen. Bless you.